Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. And uh, I, I felt impressed of the Lord Sunday morning. Everybody say Sunday morning. Sunday morning, we usually have a number of guests that come to be with us, and that's more of an evangelistic service. On Wednesday night, it's an opportunity for the pastor to preach to the church, talk to God's people about some more mature subjects. But uh, what I will do is uh, on this Wednesday night and subsequent Wednesday nights, we'll dive a little deeper into what we're going to be preaching about to those that will be gathered here on Sunday. And our series will be called, we will be entitled, Where Am I? Everybody say that. Where am I? Say it again. Where am I? And this is very, very important. In the next five weeks, we're going to discover, hopefully discover where we are with God, with His Word, with worship, with His people. And uh, we're going to have a great time in the month of January. Somebody say amen. Don't miss a service. Well, I got a few grunts. Don't miss a service. Amen, Pastor. (laughs) Amen. Genesis 3, verses 1 through 9. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden. God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the days ye eat thereof, in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, And did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. The eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Read verse 9 with me once again. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your blessings. Lord, the privilege we have tonight to be in church, gathered together with your people. Anoint us. Touch us tonight. In Jesus' name, we give you praise. We give you glory for it. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, in Jesus' name, where are you? God bless you. You can be seated. Where are you? Tonight uh, and Sunday, I'll be dealing with where we are with God. In the early days of space exploration, uh, the Russian space program, the premier of Russia made a ridiculous statement after launching a satellite into our orbit that would orbit the earth 120 miles above the earth's surface and the premier of Russia stated there is no God. If there were a God, we would have seen him. The cosmonauts were barely, really, if we understand the word of God, the cosmonauts that were circling the earth 120 miles above the earth's surface were barely above the level of God's feet. God's feet. 
since the earth is his footstool. And they declared from just about his toe level, there is no God. Now that would be much like an ant that lives at the feet of men denying the existence of man just because of its inability to see him. God exists. He's real. Amen. I'm thankful that he is. Somebody say amen. Perhaps the military world has always recognized that whatever it it controls, it needs to be able to see. It's very important in military strategy from uh, even history until this present day. Uh, Information is valuable. It can be the difference between life and death. And the military wants to be able to see uh, maybe what the enemy's doing or where it's positioned. And so the military recognizes the need to have eyes. But it has not always had the technical ability to do so. We live in a world today where they can see a lot more than they used to see. Somebody say amen. I don't know if your neighbor got a drone for Christmas. How many got a drone for Christmas? We have a few here. Some back there is really excited about that. Amen. Some that's really excited they got a drone. I got Brother Aaron up here got a drone. They have cameras on them, right? They have cameras on them. That's nice. I tell you what, if my neighbors, Tim, if my neighbors get drones and they come flying over my backyard, they will be entering enemy t- airspace. <laughs> no, I'm teasing. I wouldn't shoot down Tim's drone. I might, I might shoot down Bryce's drone <laughs> or Nicole's. I don't know. Uh, I've heard Nicole's been flying them around watching everybody, making sure everybody's doing what they're supposed to do. No, I'm teasing. They got cameras on them up to three miles. I think some of them three miles. Some of them may even go further. Uh, you know, you never know when somebody's watching you. You can be in your backyard, uh, you know, early in the morning drinking you a cup of coffee and you're still in your pajamas and you think nobody's watching. Uh, They've got eyes on you 24-7. There are cameras everywhere. And the military recognizes the need to see. Everybody say to see. Now that we're living in the age of camera and communication satellites and radar and computers, the ability to observe is greatly enhanced in the 21st century. But let me say to you, the Lord's ability to see everything in the universe simultaneously certainly qualifies him to care for us. Somebody say amen. Now, they may be able to take your picture when you run the yellow light and send you a a citation in the mail. They may be able to uh, to get cameras and see if somebody's trying to evade the law, and they may be able to monitor traffic and find out where they are. Uh, there's face recognition software. They can, uh, they can access uh, cameras on utility poles and light poles in metropolitan areas, and they can scan the crowds for people that are wanted or uh, subversives or terrorists. It's amazing the technology, and I'm probably just scratching the surface. There's probably stuff going on that we are not even aware about tonight. But I want to tell you, as much as as society wants to see to be able to control and keep people safe, uh, nobody has the ability to see everything simultaneously at the same time. 
but Almighty God does. So that gives him, that qualifies him to care for me. That qualifies him to direct me. That qualifies him to tell me when to go forward and when to stop, when to turn left or when to turn right. Because he's watchful. Somebody say amen. Uh, Universal surveillance is his specialty as the omnipotent God, the all-powerful God. And not only is he omnipotent, he is omnipresent. He is everywhere present at the same time. I'm thankful for that. That simply means I am never out of his sight. His eyes are always, as Psalms 11.4 says, his eyes behold the children of men. The eyes of the Lord, Proverbs 15 says, are in every place. That's comforting to know tonight. Psalms 34 says, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. Somebody say amen. I need you to turn to somebody beside you and tell them the Lord sees where you are tonight. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what, uh, what condition you came in on this Wednesday night. But God sees what's going on in your work situation. God sees what's going on in your physical situation. God knows what the doctor told you. You don't have to use prayer to inform God. He already knows all that stuff. You need, to, you need to come to prayer to seek his face and relationship with him. Our prayer time is not information gathering for the Lord. We are not God see. Agents who are going around, and we got to go to prayer to tell God how everything's going down here. He knows how it's going down here. I need to talk to God for him to reassure me, not for me to reassure him. <laughs> now, Lord, I need you to help me. I need you to comfort. I need you to talk to me because you see things that I don't see. Somebody clap your hands under the Lord. God knows. God knows. And when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, the Lord called for them in the cool of the day, the Bible says. And God said in Genesis 3, it specifically says that God said, Adam, where art thou? Everybody say that with me. Adam, where art thou? Now, the Bible tells us they had hidden themselves, but God did not ask them where they were because he had misplaced them. God did not ask them where they were because they missed an appointed meeting time and they weren't in their usual place. God knew exactly where they were. He didn't ask because he did not know their location. He asked where they were to cause them to consider the position sin had placed them in. In other words, what God said, Adam, where art thou, I guess could be better translated in this way. He could have said, Adam, do you know where you are? Adam, I know where you are. Adam, I know what's happened. I know what's going on. But Adam, do you know where you are? That's an important question for us to ask. On this Wednesday night, surrounded by God's people, it's important for us to ask ourselves, do I know where I am? And I think it's important that we ask ourselves that question in relation to a few things. And the first one I want to focus on is, do I know where I am with God? 
We've talked about it. There's people testified about it tonight. I heard testimonies before I ever came in this building tonight of people talking about what's going on. Surely it's the end time, Brother Gene, and things are happening that we're not even aware of. And I, I understand that. And I say, man, I believe the Lord's coming soon. But it's amazing that we can believe that and talk about that and still not, maybe, maybe in our minds we do, but maybe not live the way we ought because we don't ask ourselves the question, where am I with God? In fact, when you study scripture, uh, Adam and Eve were living in eternity. Everybody say in eternity. How many hate the clock? You just hate the clock. A few of us. Alarm goes off, you just feel like, you know, your first act of the day, you just feel like throwing your alarm across the room. How many love birthdays you love your own? You know, when you start getting 53 or 60 and, you know, 65 and 70, you, somewhere you say, you know, I don't know if this is so much a birthday as it is a condolence party. <laughs> I'm not sure we should be, <laughs> you know, you see the... I saw a funny video on YouTube the other day. This elderly person, she was turning 110 years old, and somebody had gone out to the little home she was living in, and it was a reporter, and she was on live news feed, and she was talking to the elderly lady who was sitting there with her cup of coffee, just kind of staring into the camera like she wasn't sure what that was. She was staring into the camera, and the young lady's interviewing her with a microphone. She said, uh, called her name and said, your family's coming today and they're going to have a big birthday party and, and, uh, and they're going to come and, and uh, they're going to they're gonna have cake and they're going to celebrate your, your 110th birthday. And, uh, and <laughs> the lady didn't crack a smile. She didn't even hardly blink. And, and they said, they said what, what do you think about that? And <laughs> in no uncertain terms, she let the lady on the live, live news feed know that, and I really can't quote what she said, but <laughs> she let her know right up. <laughs> I got to thinking maybe I should since I'm quoting somebody. It wouldn't be me saying it, but no. She let her know it wasn't that big of a deal. <laughs> Shocked the little lady, you know, <laughs> and 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 uh, so in, in this uh, time that we live in, birthdays, you, you know, the time that's going on, you time's speeding up. Brother Bill already talked about the shortening of days. I'm not sure there's 24 hours in a day any longer. Somebody said today, what'd you do for New Year's Eve? You know, did you see see the old year out? I said, no, I went to bed about 9:30. Can I get a witness? <laughs> Amen. I remember there used to be a day I'd, I'd think, you know, I need to be out and watch the night air kind of shift from one year to the next. Now it's like whoop-de-doo. It's 2017. You know what? 365 days from this day, it'll be 2018. There'll be another one. If I live to see that, I'll probably sleep through that one too. You get to the point where you see enough fireworks, you're like whoop-de-doo. <laughs> Can I get a witness? Anyway, uh, time just marches on. It gets faster and faster. I told somebody today, you know, the time my kids were from birth till about starting school, it kind of went, I could say it didn't go real fast. Uh, Those were trying times. Uh, But when they started school till they graduated, it just was a blink of an eye. It just flew by. And uh, I'm shocked. I'm shocked at how old I am. I'm shocked at how old they are. I'm shocked that at 
27, they would even think about getting married because I know they're not ready. And then I think, well, I got married at 21. How dumb was I? <laughs> if I think about my kids at 21, dear Lord, tell Cheryl, I'm, I mean, no wonder we we're have a nervous breakdown or half out of our mind. Everybody okay? All right, I am. Just so you know. Time's marching by. I'm 53. In five months, I'll be 54. That is amazing. I was 19 in 2012. I was 19. See what you've done to me? I've wasted my best years here. Not really. Not a waste at all. Time flies by. Everybody say time. Who is it, Jim Croce? I'm sorry to quote somebody that carnal. Jim Croce, with Jim that said, if I could have time in a bottle. What a ballad that was. What crazy thinking that was. You can't control time. Time marches on. In a blink, uh, time will be gone. In a blink, this year will be gone. In, in just a matter of a few years, you'll be looking back and you'll have more time behind you than you have in front of you. And I didn't understand that when I was younger, but you know, now that I'm old, I agree with all those old cranky people. I realize I am one of those old cranky people, and that's all right. Keeps you young folks honest. Need somebody to keep you on the straight and narrow. I'm glad to be a part of the old folks group. I made it. All you people that don't want to have birthdays and you know, well, I'm, I don't want anybody to know how old I am. You ought to wear it as a badge of honor. It represents months and years. And, isn't that right, Sister Amy? You earned every one of those gray hairs. You earned every one of them. Time keeps marching by, but do you realize Adam and Eve didn't have it? There was no time. They were in eternity. Do you know what started that crazy clock? Sin started it. There wasn't even a clock. There wasn't even time until sin came into the world. And now man has to worry about how much time he has left. Man never worried about time or how much he had left of it before sin entered the world. Sin destroys a lot of things. And a lot of people are more worried about how much time they have or don't have than where they are and where their standing is with God. There are people more worried about their bank account than they are, where am I with God? There are people more concerned about their future or their past than they are in answering the question, where am I with God? They're more interested in their retirement than they are, where am I? And there's nothing wrong with being concerned about where you're going and go to the ant, thou sluggard. I don't think you ought to wander aimlessly through life, but I do recognize the priority is understanding that I want to be right with God and I want to hear him say well done thou good and faithful servant oh clap your hands unto the Lord that's the most important thing that's the most important thing now brother S.G. Norris one of the great great Bible teacher and started 
uh, Apostolic Bible Institute in Minneapolis, uh, St. Paul area, great Bible teacher, gone on to be with the Lord and his calculations from what I can best gather from uh, records of, that, of those, some of his teachings is that it took 35,000 years to set up this world for mankind. Uh, I'm, I don't know, that was his opinion. I do know that, that those seven days of, or six days of creation, the sun was not even created to the fourth day. So we, we're not talking about 25 four-hour days. We're not talking about segments of time that we know today because time didn't even start until sin entered the world. So how many thousands of years that could have been or might have been, I understand it's not a day as I know it. I do know that. But I do know not everybody may argue, and isn't it crazy, we'll argue over stuff we can't prove or disprove, but we'll argue about whether it was a million years or just a thousand years, or well, the Lord says a thousand years, this is a day, so it had to be six thousand years. Well, and all of that. Just think about it in this regard, whether you believe it was a bunch of years or just a thousand or six thousand or whatever. It took a long time for us to get to God creating man out of the dust of the ground, but it only took one moment to destroy all that had been done to bring man into existence. It took one moment of time to destroy it. It took one lie to destroy it, one, and that's all. Everything God had instituted, it took one moment to tear it down. It took years and years to get it there, but it took one moment to destroy it. Buildings that take nearly a century to build can be burned down in one day. Look at what it takes for one soul to be redeemed from the mars of sin. And not only what it takes for one person to be saved, but look at what it takes for a person to stay saved. It takes a lifetime of bearing the fruit of the Spirit. I don't care whether you've had the Holy Ghost 50 years, I want to tell you, it takes time for you to bear the fruit of the Spirit. There's sometimes you don't feel like loving. There's sometimes you don't have any patience It takes a lifetime to be what God wants you to be. So I come to ask you tonight in this convocation, in this service, where are you with God? I think that's an important question. I don't want to begin 2017 estranged from God, not talking to God, away from God, indifferent with God. Somebody say amen. And I want to be right with God. In Genesis Three, the Bible tells us God placed a curse upon the devil and on man and on woman. Somebody say amen. Sin brought a curse. Everybody say a curse. And have you ever noticed men and women don't get along from the very beginning? Sin brought a curse on the man and a curse on the woman and a curse on the serpent and a curse on the ground. And men and women haven't got along because of the curse. The secret to a happy life is learning how to get around the curse. You can fight and carry on with everybody, stomp, stomp your foot, sling stuff, throw stuff, and do stuff, and all of that. But you know what? The reason this, this is in turmoil is because of a curse. Somebody say amen. And the Bible tells us man gave in to a tyrant, and for that reason, here we are, estranged from God. God asking us, Do you know where you are? The Bible tells us that in the last days, the Lord likened uh, his coming to a time when he exampled it as ten virgins. Five were wise and five foolish. 
And the call goes out that the bridegroom comes and all of those virgins awaken. I preached it before that when that call goes out, what's amazing is if you read that story, it's already too late. Everybody say too late. When the call goes out, behold, the bridegroom cometh. The Bible tells us that those that had oil went out to meet him. And those that didn't have oil went to buy it, but they didn't get back in time. So that means that when the call goes out in the spirit, the bridegroom's coming, it's already too late. Don't wait too late. Don't waste a service. You don't have a service to waste. Well, I'll get in when I really feel like the Lord's about to come. No, when the call goes out in the spirit, the Lord's coming, it's already too late. I don't want to miss it. Somebody say amen. So these five wise and five foolish, the Bible tells us they went out, the five foolish went out to buy oil. And, and they begin to assess their situation after it was too late. It's, it's not the time then to assess. The time is now. God gives all of us a space to repent. And the time to assess where you are is right now while you have an opportunity. So before I go out to those that may be here Sunday and for the first time, hear the gospel preached in a, in a church setting. I've got to ask the church because this is where judgment begins. It begins in the house of God. I've got to ask good men and good women and sheep of the pasture. I've got to ask you, where you are you with God? Do you know where you are with God? Does he excite you? Do you long to speak with him? Do you love to worship him? Does he excite you like he used to? I pray you never lose that in your your life. Somebody say amen. Oh, let's worship the Lord for a minute. Oh, let's worship the Lord just for a minute. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, awaken us, God. Help us to examine ourselves, Lord. See where you are. How many know the devil will attack you? How many know the enemy doesn't want you to be saved? Amen. I, I know the enemy attacks us. And, and uh, I guess in my feeble way, I know scripturally there are people in the, in the scripture that the enemy attacked. Uh, I don't believe I have an exhausted list. I don't believe I have the full list. But I've just taken four people that I know the, that the devil attacked. And, and I begin to see a pattern in how the enemy would try to distract them or pull them away or cause them to hide from God and not assess where they are with God. One of them was Eve, and that's understandable. We know that account in Genesis 3. But in Job chapter 2, we find where Satan attacked Job. And then in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 21, we find where the devil uh, attacked David as the ruler of God's people. And then in Zechariah chapter 3, we find where the devil attacked Joshua or Yeshua and he was a type of Jesus who would come but he attacked the high priest and I, I began to look at this Sister Faith if you put that up there I began to understand that as you understand how Satan attacks you and uh, how he, he would like to uh, get you away from God I hope it goes up yeah there it is now I just want you to, to look at this and, and see where you are and, and, and you may be able to recognize how the enemy is has tried to get you insensitive before. And this is, a, this is just an example. So if you want to get your phone and take a picture of it, you sure don't want to take notes. I've reckon, I, you know, I know you probably don't want to write it down because it it'll probably be gone by the time you get it all written down. But anyway, if you want to take a picture, anyway, <laughs> just let me go. 
Look at them across the top there. And Satan's role in each one of them's lives were different. In fact, with Eve, he was a deceiver. But with Job, he wasn't there for deception. He was going to destroy Job. And in the life of David, he wasn't there to be a destroyer. He was there to rule over David. He wanted David to rule in a subversive way. And then in Yeshua or Joshua and Zechariah chapter 3, he came as an accuser. Now notice what happens. Satan can come in many different ways to get you to to lose track of where you are with God. He'll get you distracted. Somebody say amen. And in the attack on Eve, it was the target of Satan was the mind. And the way he targets the mind is the weapon he uses is lies. Now you better be very careful. I'm asking you where you are with God or as as the Lord said in in Genesis 3, maybe better interpreted, Adam, do you know where you are? I'm asking some of you saints, do you know where you are? Because if you're not careful, the devil will attack your mind and the weapon he uses is lies. I don't care what you read on Facebook. I don't care what they tweeted. I don't care what you thought they said. Anything that's built on a lie is gonna war against your mind. The Bible says how important it is what you believe. And the Bible says if you believe a lie, you're gonna suffer damnation. Well, I don't wanna believe a lie. I wanna believe the truth. I'm not just talking about one God apostolic truth. I'm not talking about Acts 2.38 truth. I'm talking about what I read on the internet truth. Uh Uh-oh. Somebody say amen. There are people in this room tonight that you war in your mind and your mind won't stop. You worry about things and you're fearful about things. The devil knows how to twist you and get you turned up and he knows how to get you distracted and he'll use lies. Somebody say amen. The purpose of the enemy in this attack on Eve was was to get, she was somewhat in ignorance because she wasn't there when God, she wasn't even created when God said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So it's very important that God maybe once winked at ignorance, but now that day is gone. Folks, you need to be at church every time you can be at church. You need to hear the preacher preach the word of God. You don't need to miss Sunday school because you're too mature for that. No, you need to hear the word of God every Sunday morning. No, you're not hearing me, but I'm gonna preach anyway. Some of you wondering why you got battles in your mind. That's because you have satisfied yourself with ignorance. Lord, help me to understand that you want me to know your word. You want me to stand on it. You want me to believe it. You want me to walk in it. If I don't, I'm gonna have battles in my mind. I mean, no, knowing the word of God, it's tough enough to walk in, in liberty and keeping your mind together and, and, and thinking about those things that are pure and godly and of a good report. It's tough enough when you, when you saturate your life with the word of God. I don't know how people make it when they read their Bible when it comes up on the screen on Sunday. The only time they ever chapter and verse and read something is when the preacher puts it up on the screen. I need my life saturated with the word (laughs) because the enemy's gonna come as a deceiver and I need the word of God infiltrated into my mind. I don't wanna be ignorant in that hour. Oh, come on, clap your hands under the Lord. Where are you with God? Well... 
You know, I believe you ought to be modest. Well, why do you believe? Well, I don't know, but here's my pastor's number. And I've said that so many times, you probably don't say that anymore. (laughs) That's not why I said that. I said that for you to study, to show yourself approved. A workman that doesn't need to be ashamed. Because I'm not walking around just doing something because somebody told me to. See, Eve, that gets you in trouble when somebody tells you something and that's all you know. The devil can throw lies at you and twist your mind up. You can sit in services and wonder about so-and-so. Well, I heard this about them and I heard that about them and you can't even worship God. God can come in the cool of the evening and you're not even there. You know why? Because you're distracted. Turn to your neighbor and say, where are you? Job, he came as a destroyer. Everybody say a destroyer. And you know what his target was? He wanted to destroy Job. So he targeted his body. You know what his weapon is with the body? It's suffering. And some of you, the devil wanted to destroy. Some of you, he's trying to destroy right now. And you say, well, I don't know why I'm going through what I'm going through. I thought if I served the Lord, I would never have any sickness. Oh, no. Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. Somebody say amen. The devil will attack your body. He did with Job and he put on him suffering. And the reason is is because he wanted to produce impatience with the will of God. He wanted Job to give up. (laughs) He wanted Job to throw in the towel. He wanted Job to say, well, I guess it's not worth it. Oh, we heard a lot about that last Wednesday night. But I want to tell you what your defense is. Hey, if he comes as a deceiver, you better hold on to the word of God. But if he begins to attack your body, let me tell you what your defense is. It is the grace of God. That's The word grace means strength. Lord, you're my strength. Lord, you're my song. Lord, you're my help. Come on, don't get discouraged when the devil tries to destroy you. Don't get discouraged when your body's suffering. Understand that God is faithful. Oh, come on, clap your hands unto the Lord. Hallelujah. He attacked David. He attacked David. And I know you. Still, when I said David, you thought, oh, yeah, I remember when David, you know, all that sin. No, the, the attack of Satan had nothing to do with Bathsheba and David's fall. In fact, 1 Chronicles chapter 21 tells us when the devil rose up to destroy David, you know what he did? He had him number the people of God. The target, he wanted David to be a self-centered ruler. And so the target was his will. He he began to make David to to feel like he wanted to do some things. Well, I know God didn't tell me to do this, but I'm gonna do this. And that's a dangerous place. And the weapon that he uses in that instance is pride. (laughs) Somebody say amen. He wants you to operate independent of the will of God. Folks, it's very important. Your defense in that kind of situation is the spirit of God. You better be very careful in making decisions that you haven't heard from God about. I said you better be very careful about making decisions, be they about your finances or about your your walk with God or, or your relationship with somebody else or your marriage or your kids. You better be very careful about making decisions out of arrogance or pride because that's what you want. The only defense of that is you staying submitted to the Holy Ghost. Lord, lead me, I'll follow. Lord, guide me. I don't want to be lifted up in pride. Somebody say amen. 
And then in Zechariah 3, we find where the enemy attacked Joshua. He was a high priest, and, and the Bible tells us that Satan came against him and accused him. He accused him because he had on filthy garments. And the old high priest was standing there and Lucifer came and the target was his heart and his conscience and, and uh, Joshua was so condemned and felt so bad and the weapon that Satan uses when he, when he comes against your heart and your conscience is he uses accusations and he did in the life of Joshua and Satan accused Joshua before Almighty God and he began to accuse him and he indicted him by the will of God and by the word of God and the Bible tells us that in that moment God commanded them to take off Joshua's dirty robes and to put on some white robes and we know this is talking about typically the intercession of Jesus Christ we are no good in our own self if we are good at any in any way God Jesus Christ is the measure of our goodness he's the reason we are who we are tonight but the devil still likes to come and accuse you and indict you but I want to tell you greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world oh somebody clap your hands unto the Lord tonight Satan wants you to get distracted Satan wants you to get distracted he'll try to deceive you folks you need to do more than just go to a Bible believing church I'm going to say it again. You need to do more than just go to a Bible-believing church. You need to love the Word of God for yourself. Somebody say amen. And I mean love the Word of God. Love it so deeply that you don't search it to find out if your idea is right. Uh-oh. Oh, yeah, I know people, they're going to they're gonna turn the pages of the book just to see if what they think about all of it's right. No, where is the love of God that says, oh, Lord, speak to me? If there be any evil way in me, Lord, find it. Let the search word of you, search light of your word, search my heart. Somebody say amen. I want to love the word of God. Somebody say amen. And when I begin to suffer and there, and there can be things that happen to us physically, I don't want to get impatient with the will of God. I want to make sure that his grace is sufficient for me. Paul said, Lord, remove this thorn from me. I can serve you better if you take this away from me. I've asked you three times now, and the Lord's response to Paul was, my grace is sufficient for you. Turn to your neighbor and tell him God's grace is sufficient. I hasten to a close. Satan would like to move us away from our relationship with God. And I find in the temptation of Adam and the temptation of Christ in these two examples, Adam was tempted by Satan himself. He used a serpent and then ultimately he would tempt Eve and then tempt Adam. But not only that, Jesus Christ was tempted by Satan. Satan personally in Matthew chapter 4 tried to pull Jesus Christ out of his place in God. We are also tempted by Satan. In Acts chapter 5, we find where Satan personally attempts individuals. In Hebrews 11 and 1 Timothy chapter 6, we find that he tempts us through people. Everybody say through people. You need to be very careful who you hang around with. Uh-oh. He tempts you through people, and he tempts you through circumstances. You better be careful about your attitude, about your future, and how you think things ought to work out, because they may not work out that way. And the reason he tempts, everybody say the reason, 
is he to cause disobedience. And when Adam was tempted, he disobeyed. In Genesis chapter two, thou shalt not eat. In Genesis three, Eve gave to her husband and he did eat. But the Bible tells us that Adam was tempted and he disobeyed. But the Bible tells us Jesus was tempted, but he did not disobey. Now this is beautiful, folks, that the first Adam threw us all in the cauldron of sin because he was tempted and succumbed. We've all been born sinners, but he was not the only Adam. <laughs> Am I okay? You t- people talk about, well, I just can't help do this or that. Oh, yeah, you can help it because the first Adam was not the only Adam. There was a second Adam. <laughs> In fact, the Bible tells us the first one was first, but the second one was not just second. He was last. <laughs> Oh no, you, you, you. that means there's no other Adam coming. That means you can't blame anybody else. Now you can go around blaming Adam for all your disobedience, but I want to tell you there's another Adam that he did not disobey. And because he overcame, I too can overcome. Oh, somebody clap your hands under the Lord. I don't have to live in dis- disobedience. I don't have to be estranged from God. Oh, let's clap our hands unto Jesus right now. Oh, yes. The Bible tells us that there was a second Adam, that last Adam, and Satan said, command these stones to be turned into bread. He, was, he had fasted 40 days. I know some of you that get real hungry after four hours. We go through, and we got it coming. You can go on the calendar now, and you can get ready for it. We used to slip it up on you. We're not going to slip it up on you anymore. You can go in the calendar. You can see the first week of February, we're going to be fasting all week. You can gorge the last week of January just to get ready for it. Everybody okay? I know people say, Pastor, I can't fast. I get hungry. Wow. Now there's something I hadn't thought about. (laughs) Jesus had fasted 40 days. Do you think he was hungry? Come on, it doesn't take a Bible school education to figure that out. 40 days of fasting, he was hungry and Satan said, turn these stones into bread. Command these to be turned into bread. In fact, he was saying, take that which God has not provided you. God has led you to a barren desert and here you are all by yourself. Now you, since God hadn't provided, it's time for you to do something. Oh, I'm preaching to you right now. Some of you are so convinced that you're supposed to be the author of your own destiny and do what you're supposed to do. And I understand you shouldn't just lay around the house and expect everybody else to pay your bills. But I'm telling you, there come a time when you realize I can't provide for what God wants me to have. He is my provider. I'm able to put a little food on my table and maybe keep the roof from leaking in my house, but there's things that I don't have the ability to provide that I need God to provide for me. Somebody say amen. I walk up my stairs, and I'm, I'm hurrying to a close sister Lisa. Just come play some golf club music if you don't mind. No, I'm teasing. You'll understand. I walk up the stairs and 
And when I go up the stairs, getting ready to go in my bedroom, there's Shayla's room off to the right and Chelsea's room off to the left, my room at the end of the hall on the right. And there, right there, as you go up the landing, there's a little cedar chest that's got, I don't know what it has in it. It could have bodies for all I know. <laughs> you know, cedar chest, you never open them up. I mean, Grandma may be in there for all I know. Now that I think about it, what is in there? I think I'll go home and open it up. What's in this thing? Cedar chest. Hope chest. Anybody have a hope? I know what that means. If I, I hope I get married, and if I do, all this stuff's going to stay in this box. Hope chest. Right behind that hope chest, if you walk up the stairs tonight, if I was taking you up the stairs tonight, you'd see sticking out on the floor, laying on the floor, but sticking out right past the leg. It's been there for a long time. I just left there to see if anybody noticed. There's the end of a golf club sticking out. You know, the, the end that hits the ball, not the handle, but the, and it looks like about a nine iron or a pitching wedge. You want to say, well, Brother Gene, what's the deal about a big a golf club laying between the hope chest and the wall, just kind of laying, nobody's noticed it for years, it's laying there. And every time I walk by it, I kind of smile. But I think about a time when my daughters were there by themselves late at night, and mom and dad weren't there, and they thought they heard something downstairs. And the best weapon they could find was a nine iron. You okay, Connor? All right, all right. A nine iron. And when we got home, they were telling me what they were going to do with that nine iron. Dad, we heard somebody downstairs, and Shayla had the nine iron. She was walking down the stairs real slow. And I was behind her. And we just knew if somebody jumped out, we just going to club them to death. What I'm saying to you is I can put food on the table and I can keep the roof from leaking and I can change the washer fluid in the vehicle and I can put on new windshield wipers and I can take the, the girl's car to the dealership and get the oil changed and I can even rotate the tires and I may could get Corey or Jared to work on the alternator or starter if I could get their attention. I can do all that, but there's some things I can't do. I can't watch over them 24-7. In fact, as I stand here before you right now, I have no idea where my two daughters are at this moment. I know where they're supposed to be, but supposed to be and are are two different things. I have no idea. I don't have my phone with me. I'm not preaching off my iPad. One of them could have had a terrible accident, run over a nail and be on the side of the interstate or the road with a flat tire and some crazy nut come along. I can't be there in that moment. Well, I provide. I'm the one that, oh, no, 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 no. There's some things only God can take care of. 
You can say all you want to about nine irons and billy clubs and 357s and rifles and shotguns and how your protection is secured, but I'm telling you right now, there'll come a time when you cannot provide what you need. In that hour, you better be ready to say, I'm not gonna turn this into bread. I'm not gonna make this situation worse. I'm gonna do what God wants me to do. Come on, come on, there's some of you that are feasting on stuff that will never satisfy you because you commanded something to be your bread. Satan says, command these stones to be turned into bread. You know what, if he'd have done that, how long would he have, it had taken him five minutes to get filled up. But you know what, another two or three hours he would have been hungry again. Jesus said, oh no. This bread perishes. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds. He told his disciples, I got bread to eat that you know not of. See, the reason some of you are so hungry is because you've commanded stuff of this earth to be your bread. Because you thought God had left you alone and you're out by yourself and you just gotta make it happen. Oh no, God knows how to provide for you. Oh, let's lift our hands and love the Lord right now. Lord, I pray you help us not ever step out of obedience, not ever, Lord, for any reason say, I've got to command this situation to be my bread. I've got to command this to sustain me. I've got to have this or I'm not going to be happy. Lord, help us. Where are you tonight? What's your bread? What feeds you? What are you commanding to be the satisfaction of your life? And then Satan takes him up to the pinnacle of the temple and shows him all the kingdoms of this world. And he says, bow down and worship me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. And the Lord Jesus told him, it's not my time. Listen, Satan showed him all the kingdoms because all those kingdoms were Satan's. He wasn't lying to him. All those kingdoms were Satan's. They're not any longer. (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) Because of Calvary, Jesus has won the victory. (laughs) But Satan wanted Jesus Christ to grasp before God's appointed time what God himself had already promised Jesus Christ. Listen, it happens in your life. It'll get you out of whack with God. If you begin to think, well, you know what? I think I need this, or I think I need that, or I think this, well, it's not the right time yet. I think timing's very important. Somebody say amen. And then Satan says, if you uh, cast thyself off the temple, the angels will bear thee up. He actually quotes Psalms 91. I've preached it before. Satan actually quotes Psalms chapter 91, but he leaves out a very important part. He prophetically quotes Psalms 91 and says, doesn't even the word of God say that if you fall, the angels will bear thee up. But he leaves out in all thy ways. Huh. He omits in all thy ways. Psalms 91 talks about the Lord bearing thee up in all thy ways. But the fact of the matter is, if Jesus jumps off the temple... He's not in God's ways anymore. He's now operating in his own way. Listen, if you stay submitted to God, the Lord will bear you up. 
in all your ways. I've watched him pick people up in the cancer ward. I've watched him bear people up going through tragedy. I've watched him bear people up who, who began to tell me what happened in their life and I sat there thinking, my Lord, how did they even make it? And they'll say, Pastor, the only way I made it was with the Lord. Listen, I want to tell you, if you stay focused on God, you stay submitted to God, you stay uh, uh, close to God, he will keep you in all thy ways. Come on, stand right now. Let's just lift our hands. I, I feel the presence of the Lord. Lord, I don't, I don't want my bread to be bread of this world. I don't want to get out of the timing of God. And Lord, I don't, I don't want in any way, Lord, to get out of your will and your direction, Lord. Help, where are you with God? Come on, Adam, where are you? Do you know where you are? Do you know? Examine your life and say, Lord, is there some part of me that could be doing better? Come on, look at your prayer life, saint of God, and say, am I praying like I should be praying? Come on, look at your Bible reading and ask yourself, am I, am I feasting on his word? Come on, where are you with God? Where are you with God? Right now, lift your hands all over the building, Lord.